In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. It's Bill C-11, and it has a pretty innocuous official description. It's called an act to amend the Broadcasting Act and to make related and consequential amendments to other acts. Sounds like minor changes, right? A few tweaks to a few already existing acts. What's the big deal? Well, to put it bluntly, Bill C-11 is intended to expand Canada's signature CanCon requirements that you are likely familiar with from television and radio into the world of online media. And that impacts tens of thousands of Canadians who make their living in that space, but also every Canadian who spends time aimlessly hanging out on TikTok or on YouTube or, I don't know, looking for a new podcast to listen to. In order to understand why this bill is so important and controversial, first we need to understand what's actually in it, how it will impact creators, and how it could change the kind of content Canadians find when they go looking for entertainment online. Because, as you might imagine, it's complicated. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Vass Bednar is the executive director of the Masters of Public Policy and Digital Society program at McMaster University, and also the author of a newsletter called Regs to Riches. Hey, Vass. Hey there. I'm going to start by taking off my digital media journalist whatever hat here because I know this impacts me, sort of, and I don't want this explained to me like I might understand it because I really don't. Really? Okay. So let's start at the very beginning. What is Bill C-11 and what's the problem this bill is intended to solve? What is the problem this bill is intended to solve? Okay, so I think that the goal of C-11 is to ensure or introduce kind of better competition for digital creators. So it focuses on three things online, discoverability, promotion, and showcasing. So fundamentally, in terms of the problem that it's trying to solve, this piece of legislation is basically saying, okay, in Canada, we have particular expectations on broadcasters, radio, television, in terms of the proportion of Canadian content that they showcase, but also, you know, funds that they contribute to support the production and creation of Canadian content. Now, we're trying to apply this legislation or expand this legislation to include digital streaming, right, digital media, and impose 
or kind of bring them under that umbrella in terms of some of those policy obligations that are related to Canadian content. The goal is to require online streaming giants, like the ones we're very familiar with, YouTube, TikTok, to contribute to the creation and availability of Canadian content in the way that we do right now with music, uh, film, and television. So to wrap up, I think the angle or the, the, the vibe, the intention is around protecting uh, what we call Canadian culture, delivering more choice to Canadians, and also making sure we're being mindful of the needs of minority language communities. But it's definitely taken on a life of its own. I think it's become, our conversations about it have become really muddled and, and polarized. And that's probably, you know, why it's a nice opportunity to try to just revisit it or, or break it down a little bit. Yeah, and and that's the thing that I'm looking forward to because, you know, my understanding of it, as I said, is extremely limited, and it was limited to that, to bringing the CanCon requirements into the digital era. And from what I gather, you know, it's one thing to talk about, yes, YouTube and, and Netflix or whomever are going to have to support Canadian content, and it is a whole other thing to try to parse out like what that means in practice. So maybe first, what's the status of this bill right now? It's passed the House and in the Senate and there's hearings. Is that what's going on? Yeah, you've got it. The bill's uh, been before the Senate for something like close to six months at the time that we're recording. There's been something close to 42 hours of hearings before the, the Heritage Standing Committee. But recently, the Senate was going through a clause-by-clause review of the Act. So I think one really important thing to remember on anything related to public policy of any kind, not just digital policy, is we don't write public policy in stone anymore, and thank goodness for that. But we sometimes treat the process as if we do, right? If this goes forward with aspects that we haven't perfectly ironed out or there's still a wrinkle, we can still address that. And I, I do want us to remember that because already we're seeing some great discussion around whether the expectations outlined in this act would uh, extend to what's referred to as user-generated content. And the heritage minister has, has clarified that the online streaming act wouldn't, wouldn't cover that. And that is good to remember because it was a big sticking point from earlier conversations. What do we know about why or or maybe why not, this bill is necessary. Is there right now a problem with a lack of Canadian content in digital media up here? I would I would frame it as we occasionally perceive or allow, we allow ourselves to be a little bit deluded that the internet's a totally unregulated space, right? That Creators who are economically successful are the beneficiaries of a digital meritocracy that doesn't totally exist in the sense that these spaces are regulated. They are regulated by the private actors that control the distribution platforms. They are algorithmically controlled. As, as much as we can shape our feeds or signal our interests on TikTok, et cetera, and there's lots of interesting literature on that kind of algorithmic manipulation, we are not in the driver's seat. So I think fundamentally that there, there's a role for the state to make these marketplaces more fair or more aligned with our Canadian cultural goals. It's been really fascinating to hear from who we call creators, right? People who are 
creating content online and can earn a living or are very successful. This is fascinating. This is like, this is a totally new economy, but it's also a winner-take-all economy. And while we call these people influencers, I think in a lot of ways, they are the influenced, right? They are confined and constrained by those algorithmic incentives that dictate what successful content might look like, right? To kind of anchor on those distribution things. So I hope I'm not being too abstract, actually. You you bring me into check. You do a good job on that, but it's my perspective. Yeah, my understanding is that from what you just said, that basically means that right now, Canadian creators or, or any creators around the world, for that matter, kind of have to follow what's popular or risk getting ignored by the algorithms that actually just surface the content that's doing well. And what we're trying to do is make a space in there for stuff that's uniquely Canadian instead of another version of the American trend that a Canadian creator might be jumping on because that's the way to get seen. Right. And it doesn't force consumption, right? Being seen, the discoverability. So if we try to make a connection, let me see if I can do this to to our analog world. It's kind of like at HMV when there was a CD in the store, you could probably find it, right? Throwback, RIP HMV. The discoverability of that CD in the online marketplace of of streaming or kind of music can be a lot more difficult, right? We know that algorithms surface certain types of music, blah, blah, blah. So that's what it's kind of about. It's kind of, can we bring this digital context more in line with these longstanding policy goals and just do a little bit better, again, to improve the likelihood of consumption of of Canadian content Mm -hmm. and also support support creators a little bit more from from the state side. So I think Canadian culture and and content creators do benefit from this. Um, But I think for platforms that have new and uh, at times murky expectations placed on them, however convoluted as we work towards clarifying them, you could argue that they lose out because they are subject to manipulations or expectations that change how their business works. And who wants that if you're a private actor? Not not a lot of people want that. How would these companies and here let's just let's just talk about the big streaming big digital media giants how do these companies feel about it and how would they have to do it does youtube need to create a canadian section do they need a uniquely canadian algorithm and i imagine that they don't like that would i be wrong well you're not wrong that generally the platforms have come out against this piece of legislation there's massive advertising campaigns and investments opposing this legislation. And I think we also have to take that opposition with a grain of salt and understand, you know, what is being articulated from a private business interest and where do we find and center and hang on to the public interest and, and creator interest as we go forward here. We know, again, I mentioned that the concerns on user-generated content falling under these requirements seem to be starting to be addressed right now in thinking about social media as a form of broadcasting, which may not be, you know, may feel like a a square peg in a round hole. We are seeing Canadian legislators trying to work with the tools that are already familiar to us and that we already have, right? And then bring in new regimes there. Um, In terms of can we actually achieve the intended policy goals, 
that's going to also be, you know, that's a that's a matter for for the policy evaluation, but also platforms to be and stay in dialogue with with the regulator, which is the the CRTC, which I haven't brought up yet. Apology. Um, again, it doesn't change how creators operate. But you're right, there are, I guess, uh, we could say algorithmic implications for discoverability and what might show up in a feed based on how we define Canadian content. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. As we move into a discussion about the difference between independent creators and Canadian media companies and, and who benefits, I have a very practical question. Would this bill help me and our podcast here be seen more on a platform like Spotify, which I will tell you from experience very rarely features Canadian podcasts anywhere? You are far, far more likely to see the New York Times, the Daily, or Vox's Today Explained than you are the big story or, say, uh, another Canadian daily news podcast like Frontburner. Is that ultimately what we're talking about here that Canadian users of an American or worldwide platform like Spotify would be fed more content like us instead of our American counterparts? Or should I be asking the Senate this question? I mean, it's a great question for the Senate too. Look, I, I've been doing a bit of a Vasa's Weekend boot camp on, on finally getting into the, the weeds of C-11. The focus is in that Canadian context, having a better parallel between the expectations placed on legacy broadcast media outlets and online platforms. So if if a viewer or a potential listener is, uh, you know, geolocatable <laughs> as being in Canada and then they're searching for those podcasts, in theory, yes, the discoverability of the Big Story podcast will be improved. Uh, the promotion might slightly change. How its showcase might change. Doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to get any more listeners right? There's not a guarantee of the listenership. That's what I want. I want the government to make everyone listen to my podcast. <laughs> okay. That would be, that bill is not, currently not before the Senate, but I like how you're trying to make it more concrete because I think it's really important and this can get lost in so many policy conversations, but the articulation of what looks and feels different once this becomes law, I think has been overall kind of poorly done or just hasn't, uh, being as noisy as the opposition, you know, this has been framed as a censorship bill. This has been, uh, the invective is, uh, I'm sure more people have heard that this opens the door to things like state-controlled media than they have maybe some of the other deeper dynamics of C-11. And that's just a natural function of the hairiness of digital debate. And this is my last question about the algorithms and, and what happens online before we move on to the funding. Does Can anybody really say what will happen when this passes? And I don't mean that, like, you know, this bill is hard to read and there's a lot of stuff in there. I just mean that when you apply 
any kind of new algorithm or process to a massive amount of online content, like that's, in my experience anyway, one of the most unpredictable things that can happen on the internet, right? Who knows what, what happens when you make this and turn it loose, right? It is a little bit unpredictable. There's no guarantees. But again, it's an area where Canada is leading in a really interesting way. So typically, we are a follower, right? We're a policy taker. We're not really a policymaker. And rather than be architects, we're often importers. But because we have this unique approach from heritage, and it's fascinating when you zoom out and think that, you know, Canadian heritage is so active in potential interventions or modifications to our digital economy. I do think that's really interesting. So no, there are no guarantees. I will not pretend to you that I I can guarantee anything or that I see anything guaranteed in this bill, but I I personally do think it's worth, worth moving forward on, worth experimenting with, worth seeing if it's possible to get closer to those policy goals and if we can improve, again, those goals of discoverability, et cetera. I was really struck. I read uh, I read this really cool book about YouTube earlier this year. If I could just tell you about it for a second, it's called Like, Comment, Subscribe. But it's a history of YouTube. And, you know, one of the through lines is the relationship between the company and creators and how it was at times, you know, murky, opaque, but how creators were forced to kind of learn or guess or anticipate those algorithmic changes, right? How long should a video be? What hashtags should accompany your video? And I think for me, it was a good reminder that, again, the space does have a form of regulation attached to it that we maybe don't appreciate how it affects what we see and also the structure of what we see. You mentioned Spotify. I mean, there's some research, you know, showing how how the incentives on the platform of Spotify, the incentive is how long your song has to be played to count as a play. Songs are a whole lot shorter now on average. So these platforms are literally also restructuring the cultural content that we consume. Forget about controlling and throttling what we see or don't see and having the ability to pick winners or losers, whether I'm not saying they're handpicked, but I'm saying, again, the structure of the content is often largely what is dictating its success. Of course, people sharing and interacting with it, but to share and interact with something, you got to see it in the first place. That's a really good point. And it brings me to the money for creators. And this is something, first of all, I will state, as I often do uh, when you and I talk, that for anybody who doesn't know, the Big Story Podcast and Frequency Podcast Network are owned by Rogers Sports and Media, which makes us potentially, I actually don't know the answer to this, and maybe you can tell me, one of the companies or creators who would benefit from uh, this CanCon funding that the government is including in this bill. I will ask you, though, the criticism that I have heard about it is that that money will go to large Canadian media companies rather than the army of independent Canadian creators who work on YouTube or TikTok or social media in many ways because that's almost impossible to distribute to. And and that's what makes it unfair. What do you think of that criticism? All criticism can be constructive right? We need to register these concerns. We need to, if and as we move forward with this legislation, really think hard about 
when and how we are evaluating its success, how we are being transparent about that, and where we're creating the wiggle room to kind of refresh the legislative environment and tweak it and make it even better. We're at a we're at a four out of 10 right now for content creators online. I'd like us to get to a seven, and then I want us to get to a 10. I'm being a little bit silly with my analogies, but you know, I do think this gets us a whole lot closer to, to a seven. There is separate funding, separate complementary funding in budget 2020 to support creators. But yes, dis- distributing to independent creators in that way could be challenging. However, at the same time, improving their discoverability could lead to them having better financial success in that advertising economy that governs, you know, governs these platforms. So I think this bill can also help us think about what what does it mean to have and support a creator economy and not leave that totally up to this digital marketplace that's that's actually not, you know, a free-for-all. Can we give creators a better shot at success online? I'm supportive of that. Is this a case of it's better to do something, half a loaf is better than none, than try to figure out how to make this perfect because in this world, we might never get there? Yes, you said it a little bit better than me. I, I worry sometimes that our our penchant for perfection, especially um, academically, of which you know me, I'm, I'm kind of academic adjacent, can perversely work against us in achieving policy change, policy progress, right? So I see this bill as a form of policy progress. I think it's certainly innovative. It's uniquely Canadian in terms of our intervention in the digital economy. The world can learn quite a bit from what Canada accomplishes here. And we need to learn what we can actually accomplish. I do think I do think it's worthwhile. I think it's muddled. I think there are some ambiguities. I understand people's concerns that, you know, is the CRTC going to have too much power or new power that we don't, you know, fully or, or properly understand? Again, we legislators will remain in the driver's seat. This is ultimately our legislation, our country, and we can and should continue to improve it. But I think it would be a mess to not not proceed with this. I'll call it an experiment. I hope that's not too provocative. It's like the most provocative thing I've said. I'm not being my usual self. It's an experiment, right? It's an experiment. And um, I think it's worthwhile. I think it's super unique. It's super unique that TikTokers and vloggers and artists on Spotify are now receiving legislative attention, especially if you think back to just a few years ago and how sort of out of step government felt with our digital realities. And, uh, you know, we're talking about compensation. Last year, Canadian musicians got an average of $67 in streaming royalties, right? It's really hard to earn money as a creative because of the marketplace control of these companies. So shout out to uh, Corey Doctorow and Rebecca Giblin. They have a great new book called Choke Point Capitalism, which is all about that. But 67 bucks, that gets you about six months of ad-free Spotify. Should and can we be doing a little bit better? How do we talk about the revenue split between creators and platforms? Those are bigger conversations, but they're certainly related to this bill. And again, I think this bill is, uh, you know me, I'm kind of, uh, I'll say interested in competition issues, but I think this is about better competition for creators online and protecting Canadian culture. Last question, Fast. Do we know um, how long these hearings will last for and or uh, what's likely to happen when they're done? Like this bill is probably going to pass, right? 
I mean, it seems likely that it will pass with some amendments. It's got some great, you know, sustained attention on it. The Senate got a really strong and thoughtful Senate in Canada. Thank you, Chamber of Sober Second Thought. Um, So I do think it will pass. And are we going to get it perfectly right out the door? Probably not. We're going to need to keep negotiating and dialoguing with these, you know, very powerful digital companies. We're going to need to learn from creators. We're going to need to learn about earnings and keep having those conversations about, you know, what is the appropriate role for the state in these digital marketplaces? These are not unregulated spaces. They're unregulated from a government perspective, but they are very carefully moderated and regulated by the platforms themselves. So I do really think that's important to keep in mind. Vas, thank you so much for this. Uh, I really feel like I have more insight into uh, this bill now. Thanks for having me. Great to chat. Vas Bednar, the author of Regs to Riches, which you can find at regs to riches, R-E-G-S, number two, riches.com. That was the big story. Believe me, before this bill ever becomes law, if you are looking for a new podcast to listen to, I personally have plenty of recommendations for you. Yes, you can first start with FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com, but also I love to issue podcast recommendations on Twitter where you can find me at The Game Sheet. Once again, for as long as that platform exists, there are plenty of ways to find good Canadian podcasts. There are hundreds of great Canadian independent podcasts out there. You just got to go looking for them before the government does it for you. You can find us at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can talk to us anytime on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You can email us, hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And of course, call us anytime. Leave a voicemail, 416-935-5935. You can find The Big Story in every podcast player. And of course, in your smart speaker, ask it to play The Big Story Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Have a great weekend. We'll talk Monday. I'm Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime. Season 6, Sweethearts, is the story of three teenage girls who were all murdered in Victoria, Canada, within about 12 months. So she was scared. Something out there scared her. You've just created the playground where predators can really thrive. She was a 16-year-old girl. She was a sweetheart. Listen to Sweethearts at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get podcasts. Find your frequency.